Welcome back, everyone. For today, I'm talking about Shelly Johnson, and uh, I have Greg uh, from Tweets Cafe as a co-host, and um, I'll give the mic over to, to introduce himself further. Hey, I'm uh, Greg. I work at Tweets Cafe as a server. Um, been there going on two years next month. Um, moved during the pandemic to work in my favorite TV show, essentially. Um, but, you know, <clears throat> grew up in the restaurant industry and have bounced around, be a musician and artist as well. Um, so you can also follow my art page at Teriyaki Pop-Tart on Instagram. Uh, I do a lot of canvas work. Uh, hopefully I'll be getting featured in some magazines soon. And, you know, so just kind of working on some missions right now with that. Um, and other than that, yeah, just kind of living my best life here in, in North Bend. I love the Valley. I uh, help out on the North Bend Downtown Foundation. So I help out promoting the events there. So hopefully everyone comes out for our block party next month. It'll be fun. It's kind of one of the big ones, and uh, yeah, that's kind of so that's the about me. <laughs> and uh, I guess uh, to before you really get to Shelly uh, and talk about her, um, I will say that uh, your art is actually like genuinely great because um, I see the stuff you have, and you know, obviously it looks great on its own, but we see it all like in context together. It also just looks, you know, like when you have the picture on North Bend Bakery, uh, that stuff I thought looked absolutely incredible. Thank you. I like the. Well, hopefully, I'll get up in there soon again too. Oh yeah, sure. And um, I guess to start off with uh, Shelly Johnson, though, um, I figure the best part is to go through like what it was says in the final dossier, because according to Tammy, they uh, she she talks about how she was an only child, how she dealt with substance and spousal abuse from the father, uh, parents divorced, and she lived with the mother until she was 17. And the part where it seems like it's probably a point of contention is that according to Tammy, she talks about how Shelly was furious that Bobby was uh, two time with Laura and Shelly confronted Bobby at the prom. But when you think of something like the Secret Diary, where it establishes pretty clearly that Bobby and Laura like were a, a pretty firmly established couple for a couple of years at least by that point. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, it's uh, it's sort of one of those things that Mark Frost does, where he uh, throws in stuff that's deliberately raw to have you question all this other new information. But I just thought it was a little fun fact to bring up. But uh, after this, you know, after this uh, contentious uh, interaction at the at the at the prom. Uh, she goes to the roadhouse where she meets Leo, and uh, who's drinking a bit, but then he intoxicates her further, which sets a really bad precedent for like what their relationship will be. And uh, yeah. of course, they get married after three weeks. Um, probably her as a means to just get out, like you know, from her family. But um, was there anything that you, uh, you know, any stance you had on Shelley from the final dossier, though? Um. Well, I I feel like with her character overall, a lot of the times she's perceived as naive. And uh, I don't really see that. Like, like you said, she was probably trying to escape her bad home life by marrying Leo partially. But she also loves the praise. She loves to be showered with attention. I mean, what, what's her quote about, I'm just a diner waitress. I've never been called a goddess. You know, she, she loves the attention um, to a fault, I feel like. <laughs> you know, that makes her impulsive. Um, so I, I would say she's more impulsive than naive. Um, I, think she, I think she's smart. She just... Uh, 
she falls for the charm a little too easy. <laughs> I say that probably sets a good precedent because, um, you know, with Leo, she talks about how she was like blown away by him having a red Corvette. And that was like a bit of a trickle down effect for her where it's like, you know, he had that certain just pomposity and the way he could like, you know, handle himself. And, uh, you know, just didn't even think of the long term ramifications just because she was just so caught up in the moment, probably. Right. And yeah. I mean, they really they really construct her um, throughout the seasons as the quintessential townie. You know, she she's always been there in Twin Peaks. She's probably not leaving. Um, Twin Peaks is not necessarily glamorous place. So any glamour that's that's shown to her, of course, she's going to go with that come on now she's small town girl and yeah <laughs> and uh actually i guess uh, since we're on the topic of shelly and leo's uh relationship one of the things that i was thinking of before recording is just like the stark contrast of what their dynamic is like in the first season where it's like he's unquestionably just like a scumbag like he threatens her but then uh you know in the season one finale where he gets shot and so the dynamic just completely changes where she has a certain degree of control and you know we'll say what we will about bobby later on but it, there is this massive shift there definitely is and you know part of it's probably shelly's revenge and you can't blame her um <laughs> at the same time scheming <laughs> to commit insurance fraud or what have you <laughs> isn't the best thing <laughs> probably but she she redeems herself you know she she still takes care of leo when that falls through that is correct um and then the other one is that uh even in you know with that in mind she also seems to pick up more so than bobby that uh leo is gaining consciousness in some way and uh like we can kind of guess where this is going but the fact that she can see these little things and bobby's just dismissive it makes the yeah. payoff for when Leo actually regains as much consciousness as he can. But the scene when he's uh, just throwing stuff in the kitchen, it is probably one of the most intense scenes at that point. Not, in, not at that point in season two, but in terms of what Leo does at that part, you know, now that he's back. Because uh, that scene, I always forget. I always, there's always a jump scare that actually, like, legitimately makes me jump because there's always something I forget about, you know, before I go into another rewatch. Yeah, yeah, 100%. You know, she loves her back. So, <laughs> is that too? That, that's also overreaching, I mean, <laughs> with and Leo. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, I guess, to kind of wind down with Leo is that uh, in the season two finale, her and Bobby are at the Double R Diner, like in a full circle further than the pilot. But she's just convinced, like, oh yeah, Leo's probably in his cab. He's having the time of his life. And she's, at that point, she's like, yeah, he's gone. Like, there, there's no way this guy could possibly come back. Like, you know, it's uh, after Hank shooting him and then uh, and then him being dealt with um, when when he regains consciousness. Yeah, she was pretty confident that he was going to make it back. Yeah, 100%. And uh, actually, moving on to Bobby, though, is that, yeah. you know, actually, on the top of Bobby, one of my friends, he's actually watching Twin Peaks for the first time. And you refer to Bobby is that he basically is like Sean from Boy Meets World. And the yeah. fact that it took me so long to figure that out, because when I saw Bobby the first time I watched him, like, he reminds me of something. Like, he has this very signature 90s bad boy thing. And I never thought of Boy Meets World, the show I watch, like, every day throughout, like, late elementary school, early middle school. I mean, it's you could say Hunter was, uh, Sean Hunter was inspired by Bobby. Yeah, that's, uh, and uh, looking back on it, I think, like, yeah, I mean, the hair, it's, uh, yeah, kind of the eyes, but there's definitely a lot about the demeanor and just sort of the directionlessness that he has, um, comparing the two of them from from that time. 
But uh, no, on the topic of Bobby, though, is that despite the fact that he has his scummy moments uh, towards Shelly, that there's a, you know, he has a distinct care for her. Like, you know, if he sees that there's a physical wound, like you can tell that he's, you know, very concerned for, you know, what for her well-being. Yeah, I mean, Bobby, I feel like is misguided, but he still has a heart too, just like Shelly, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of with, with Shelly's whole cycles of abuse from her childhood and then her relationship with Leo, I feel like Bobby was getting into a cycle as well and broke it, as we saw in the new season, where he's obviously working for the sheriff's department and everything. And then you see her kind of falling back in with Red uh, in that diner scene. So I, I feel like Bobby got out of it, but she's kind of repeating her behaviors. It's kind of cyclical. And that is kind of what Twin Peaks is also about, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, now, I guess uh, also with Bobby, though, is that um, even though I do stand by that he does indeed care for her, he does have moments like the uh, like he's the one who's insistent on the whole like, hey, this insurance fraud, this is going to work. And, you know, it, and to Shelly's credit, she she's great about, you know, committing to it. And then Bobby's a little more on the passive end. And then, of course, there's the Miss Twin Peaks part where uh, he's the one saying, like, oh, we're going to get rich. Like, we're going to we're going to really nail this. <laughs> And he's giving like her the worst speech of like a, I think it's something about like kicking butt towards like anything like uh, any of the pollution in the environment. And yeah, th- this is another thing that's indicative that uh, Bobby does not think these things through. That uh, he's at the period of the get rich quick schemes is like he thinks that some good's gonna come from it. Yep. <laughs> but uh, I guess the, you know since we mentioned the thing about them going full circle at the end of season two. Uh, yeah. This is kind of content with the final dossier is that they have a Vegas wedding one year after Leo's death. And then uh, it conveniently Becky Briggs would be born seven months later and that no family showed up to this wedding. But once Becky was born that uh, Betty and Norma supported them like in any way they could early on. And there's not much to really go by with Becky, um, both in neither the Mark Frost books or season three. But um, I guess, uh, was there anything else you want to talk about Bobby before we moved on to Becky, though? Um, no, we can move on to Becky. That sounds great. I mean, like I said, I think she's kind of repeating her mom's behaviors. You know, with Steve, she's following that cycle. Absolutely. Because the thing is that I think I, Steve, I mean, Steve definitely has a fancy sports car. I should know offhand, but is that, does it happen to be a red Corvette now that I'm thinking about it? Uh, it is red. I'm not. I'm not sure if it's a Corvette or not. But that's 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 still a pretty striking enough parallel of like, uh, yes. you know, you can kind of see again, putting aside how much of a scumbag Leo and Steve are, that there's still enough that distinct parallel that they're like getting swept up in the exact same thing, and the, and the real and the and then the real caveat with all this is that Shelly, she knows deep down that uh, that Becky is just leeching off her for money. Like even if she didn't know it was drugs, she knows that it's going to be something that's misused. And, um, yeah, it's just really sad that, you know, now it's like, you know, it's bad enough that she had this with, like, Leo early on, then Bobby got better, but, you know, now it's like, but now it's like your own daughter's, like, basically using you, that there has to be just this, like, just this, I don't know, this kind of defeated feeling in some way. Well, not only that, like, Steven's addicted to Sparkle, and who's funneling the Sparkle into town? Red. Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) you know, so, I mean, Shelly is dating the guy. That's funneling these drugs. That's fueling Steven's behavior. And actually, speaking of Red, I feel like there's, you know, for a character that's in it not that long, uh, Balthazar Getty really just, like, hits out of the park where there's all these, there's enough small things about him where 
there's almost like this fantastical aspect, uh, you know, case in point and ahead of in part six where red, you know, it's not like in the original series where you had Leo and, uh, and, the, and then there were no family where they just hand off the drugs to teenagers. Like this is way more organized with like weaponry and everything. So yeah. it, it really does show that that red is caught up with way more dangerous stuff. I mean, Leo might've been more of a scumbag, but red is way more dangerous. And the, the dossier said that he was running drugs for Mr. C, right? Or that, or did it allude to that? I, I think that the, I think there was something pertaining to that. Um, and the thing that's worth mentioning is that, you know, if we're going by the 25 years later, that would mean that this takes place in 2014. I think the dossier is 2016, 2017. So I guess we don't really know what he does in that two year window frame. We just know just based off of the handful of scenes, just how bad he is at that point. For sure. And I guess, you know, in the topic of Red, though, is that since we kind of I was mentioned the fantastical aspect is that he does that coin flip and then uh, then Richard doesn't see it come down. He just pulls it out of his mouth. I wasn't sure of any thoughts on, you know, what that what that meant for Red, if that was just sort of a one off thing to kind of make you feel unnerved by him. That, that's what, yeah, you know, put the fear of God in you. <laughs> yeah, because uh, my thing is that uh, I'm sure a lot of listeners are probably tired of me explaining it each time, but I had this theory for a while that there's like a converging reality where I have this idea that after Dale tries to rescue Laura, that um, he creates two realities, one where Laura is still killed and then the other where she goes missing. And my thing is that, it, you know, in both events, it changes the town a lot, yet a little at the same time. You know, and it, with the exception of characters like Audrey or Dale Cooper, everyone else's lives in the long run wouldn't change that drastically. And I had the sense that, uh, at least after my last rewatch, that Red probably hones in on this in some way, where he knows that there's something there. I mean, maybe he doesn't, you know, I, 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 would, I, I wouldn't think he knows the thing about Laura, but... If he works for Mr. C, that's not far off. He could very well know Lodge, <clears throat> the two worlds, if you will. But I mean, the, it does say that, that... Um... Laura is now missing, I believe, right? The dossier? Oh, yeah. No, it's, uh, they definitely, I think there's hints in season three, but yeah, it's, uh, Mark Frost or Tammy Preston more so explicitly talks about it in the final chapter. They say Leland killed himself in a parking lot or yep. something. I believe, yeah. I remember that part. Yeah. And not sure if this would necessarily be fantastical or if this would just pertain to how Shelly just kind of drops everything. But you think of how in the double R where uh, Becky was like just bailed out for just like the worst thing that she's done in her life at that point. And uh, of course, Bobby, Shelly and Becky, they're talking it out. But the moment that uh, Red like knocks on the window, Shelly just drops everything. And it's like it's like the last scene, at least seen with dialogue, I think, with her. And the whole thing is that. On one hand, it's not that far off that Shelly would just, you know, would just like drop it on a whim. But at the same time, if we're kind of going with the idea that there's fantastical aspects to Red, there's also maybe there's like, maybe a spell is too much, too strong of a word, but there's something that he's doing that's more than just, just a charm. Right, right. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm not sure, but um, <laughs> I can see that. Yeah, Belzar Getty really stole the show. I wanted a little more of that. Also with Shelly, what I wanted more of in season two was her and Gordon. No, the thing is that um, that scene with the two of them was uh, probably the highlight. And that's saying quite a bit, like say barring from everything with the Black Lodge in season two, uh, those two together was like the part I would think of the most. It definitely in terms of the stuff that may, it would make me laugh in, in the original series. I, want, I just want to know how he could hear Shelley. 
Why is it only Shelly? That's left out in the open, I feel like. Yeah. They never resolved that. <laughs> no, my favorite part of all that is that uh, when Bobby, he's like, what's going on here? And then uh, he just said, he he just tells him what's going on. It's like, take a look, Sonny. It's going to happen yeah. again. <laughs> I, I'd i like to think that Goran Cole just oblivious that, was her, that, that, that they were dating. But I could also see Goran Cole being the type that knows and just doesn't care either. Right. Oh, yeah, he's a playboy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> see, we see that he's a playboy in season three for sure. Oh, absolutely. And I guess, you know, since we're coming back to the original series, you know, we could also uh, talk about Norma as well, just because they're, you know, of all the relationships that Norma, that Shelly has, Norma is like by far the strongest one and the most consistent too. It's her security blanket, kind of the double R. Mm-hmm. I feel that's her constant or consistent. She always has that to go to. She goes and helps Norma out when she doesn't need to after the funeral and everything, you know? Yeah. I th- that's the mother she probably never had. That's, ever. that's what I thought of where it's like, there's that mother figure where she's always there for her, like however she needs it. Like, you know, when Shelly has to leave to take care of Leo, she understands. Yeah. And then when she comes back begging for the job, she, she realized she didn't have to, but at the same time, Norma is just happy to have her back. Yeah, um, yeah it's, it's one of those things where there's not like uh, there's not like these like crazy heart to heart moments with each other, but it, there's just enough of them consistently that it just makes that that bond feel special. It's, uh, it's that small town charm, too. You know, I love it. <laughs> the warmth of the really kind of the heart of Twin Peaks there. That's the thing. There's definitely that sincerity to it that um, that definitely yeah. shows that the time didn't have apart from that. And I think in some respects still now. Yeah, 100 percent. And uh, I guess, uh, you know, the, like, and the other thing that I was thinking about with Norma is that, you know, in her case, she is like this genuinely kind, altruistic person. But I think of how, like, you know, her relationship with Hank uh, in the original series, where that, you know, if we're going with the whole mother figure thing, you know, the fact that she's so trusting because she doesn't want Hank going back to prison. Like, it was sort of like a, she has problems with him, but he, she doesn't want him to be like killed in prison. Like case point, what they point out in the Mark Frost books. But uh, the thing is that, you know, there's that inherent sense that, like, that's probably what sets a precedent for Shelly in some cases, that, you know, she doesn't want, she, she doesn't wish ill will, and she's better for it, but it is also to the detriment of each other that they try, you know, they really try, but at the same time, they're, they're uh, you know, like, they have people that take advantage of it. They're the, uh, they're the patron saints of uh, second chances. <laughs> <laughs> but the reason, the reason why I bring this up is that, once uh, Nadine, she says she gives Ed the blessing to go to Norma, and yeah. they have that incredible moment. It's like the last distinctly happy moment of season three is that they do get back together after decades of having all these wedges driven between them. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, uh, one of the last things we see in that shot is uh, Shelly. She just stand there like, you know, in the middle of the rush and she you can tell that it, like it really pulls at her heart. She can, you know, and I, I would like to think that this is sort of a thing that sets a precedent for Shelly, that she'll start to look at that and hone in on what, like, a true love is. And then she'll try to find that for herself as well. Because uh, yeah. it seems like she does, uh, you know, the, one of the last scenes with her and uh, Becky is that she's like, oh, coming over, you know, for like a cherry pie and a coffee. That this is sort of like they're on the mend. I, uh, I absolutely love that scene in The Return. One of my favorites to me that is the most twin peaks of like that's probably the closest to like season one you're gonna get for the new season i I, think that is like that's pure twin peaks for that scene right there with the the build-up is norma gonna sell it or not 
And then the embrace. Oh my God. It, yeah. It gets me every time. I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and Shelly's little smile, you know, it's the, that's genuine right there. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Actually. Cause I feel like I said everything about the characters, at least the prominent characters in Shelly's life. But um, I guess for you, cause um, obviously you love Twin Peaks enough to go out and work at Tweeds. What, yeah. Was there anything that changed your preconception of Shelly or the double R diner from before you moved out to afterwards? Um, <laughs> uh, no, I wouldn't really say that. Like, so I, I started working in um, diners when I was about 12 years old, um, washing dishes and, and doing that, of course. And then just, uh, restaurant work has always been a constant in my life. So even like holding other jobs and so I worked in politics for a little bit and, um, like I said, musician for a long time. Um, it's, it's just always been a constant. And so I, I know the vibe <laughs> and Shelly is very close to, you know, sometimes real life diner waitresses. I think we all know a Shelly, um, out there. She's, she's a very real character, you know, <clears throat> um, it, it's very accurate. I just feel like, you know, that, that small town feel, they, they nailed it. They nailed it. <clears throat> um, but no, no. I mean, it's it's restaurant work, man. It's a, it's a grind. Uh, it's a lot. Um, you know, um, I, I I don't know. It's an interesting question. <laughs> Sorry, I, I would need more time to think about that. But yeah, um, I love it. I mean, I love it though. It's it's hard work. You know, they don't show you that side of it. They they show the charming. They don't show the uh, the abuse from uh, <laughs> some customers. Yeah, but. No. I just think of like when I went there last October, I just think of how the one day out of the four consecutive days I went there, the third day I sat on the right side of the diner and I just felt this certain anxiety because uh, that's like where the part where the stray bullet fly. I don't know if I was in the same booth that Dana Ashbrook was, but I was at least close enough. I was like, oh, I just feel Ron sitting here. Uh, yeah. And, and I guess I, I was thinking, I was like, well, if I'm just here just on vacation, I just feel offset on this right side. I can only imagine what it's like, you know, being on the other side of uh, of of the of like the kitchen where it, where uh, everything just feels different. Cause you ever do that where you go to work on your day off and it almost just feels like a different place just because yeah. you're not in that mindset. Yeah. I think that's, that's my thing with uh, like when I worked in a restaurant is that I go in to get a paycheck and it just feels completely different. Like it might as well just be a whole different location. Right. I'll say it. It hasn't like ruined Twin Peaks for me or anything. If anything, it just kind of makes me love it more. Cause I get to like make fans days, you know, they, People travel from all over the world to come here and they didn't used to, you know, really get a warm Twin Peaks experience. And now I'm here. So I get to, you know, shoot the shit with them and just kind of talk Twin Peaks shop and just see their smiles on their faces. Or my, my favorite customers are the ones that don't know where they are at first. They come in from the side block so they don't see the sign. And their friends are bringing them there and they sit down and they're just looking around. And then they're like, oh, my God. And you can see when it hits them and then, you know, I'll say something like, welcome to double R. And they're like, oh my God, they lose it. Um, So it it brings a smile to my face. Totally. Um, (laughs) I love it. I still go in there on my days off too. And I'll sit in Big Ed's chair and I'll, or I'll sit in Norma's booth, which is kind of like the employee lounge there. It's special to me anyway. So it's, it's cool to, to sit there and have a slice of pie and be like, so this is what Norma would have seen. Well, she's overlooking the double R here. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's a special place. I love the people I work with. Um, Rachel and Max are great too. So I'm really, I'm thrilled to like be on the ground floor of 
of their takeover, you know, that there's so much more love going into the place. Um, so even if you're like not a, a Twin Peaks fan, it's it's a fun experience. It's a fun atmosphere. And you can tell people enjoy working there. <laughs> so that's that's always nice, too. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I was glad that uh, you agreed to do the uh, Shelly episode because uh, Tweets Cafe was the very first place I went to. It was the first real thing I ate that whole day. So uh, you're like, hey, you know, like you want a cherry pie and coffee? I'm like, that is the perfect jumping on point for this trip. And uh, uh, and then every day it was just like great to be there. It was just this thing yeah. to look forward to every time I went in. Us in the falls are usually the first stop on people's people's trek you know because <clears throat> we we're like a living set and this kind of the valley is just a living set but obviously we're kind of more set up for the show type of deal like it's fairly accurate to the return tables are moved a little bit different or what have you and <clears throat> obviously the diner looks different after the, the fire that we had in 2000 so it's it's closer to accuracy for the return than anything else but you know, people get to walk around in this place that they've just watched on TV for however many years, sometimes 30, sometimes two, you know, but Twin Peaks is really special to people. So it's cool that we, we retain that for everybody. And it's cool also that I feel like the Valley overall is embracing it a little more. So yeah. it's really neat. It's, it's fun for fans to do to find, stumble upon the locations and recreate the shots. You, you don't get that with many other television shows, you know, it's like a, I describe it as Disney World for adults with trauma. <laughs> That's actually the best way because I was actually talking. I talk about those people is that in the case of Twin Peaks is that a lot of people who love it for the long term, it's not because they had this. They, they had to have a certain dysfunction either they ha they were going through or are going through. I think that's why there's that certain sensitivity and kindness among the fans, and why we don't get like too up in arms at, at large um, over over like petty squabbles of how we view how we view the show or the movie. Right. Some don't. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, there, there's definitely oh there's definitely some there's definitely some bad apples, but uh, luckily yeah. that luckily that it's just a couple people who make a lot of noise. But you know when you do meet a lot of these people, you realize that a lot of them just don't feel that way. Well, the the community is what really, really like sealed the deal for my love of Twin Peaks. You know, um, I got into it during college, and just kind of got hooked on it as kind of a way to deal with stress and anxiety and you know the warmth of the the film of how it was shot back then in the the late 80s i don't know it's, it's just like a, it's comfort food it's like mac and cheese you know it's like a i know it's always there for me. and then getting to know the community through online and through like facebook and then when the return was announced the excitement and everything just building and building um and it's great and i just feel like the community is growing even more there's so many young people, so so many people um, just from all over the world getting into it now that you just you wouldn't expect it for a show that aired 30 plus years ago. But I'm, I'm so happy to kind of be a contributing part of it now. Like Twin Peaks really helped me through a lot. So I'm glad I can kind of give back as much as I can. And I'm very fortunate to be able to make a living off of my love of a TV show, you know. That's, that's the thing is that whatever, every time I went in there, you could always just tell the server, it's like you are saying before, is that there's just some distinct where something, not just beyond, again, pay, but just like there's a passion of like working there. Because um, I, I, when, I, when I met Max, 
I actually was telling him how the day before where I witnessed like a proposal. And I said that, yeah. you know, this is not something you would, I mean, it's not impossible that, you know, if the, people propose other restaurants and such, yeah. but you know, there's a very distinct reason why that couple went there and why it means so much to them. Oh, we get honeymooners too. It's amazing. And that's the thing is that Rachel and Max, you can tell that they do their best to put every fine detail in there for the fans. And the thing is that they don't have to do that, but they, they do it because you, you can tell they love it as well. And for people that have, they they never owned a restaurant before, so they are just killing it. Yeah, I, I can't sing their praises enough, and uh, very happy that they hired me. I interviewed with Rachel over Zoom, and <laughs> uh, yeah, she took a chance on me, and I'm glad she did. Was here um, I am. Was there anything else you want to talk about relating to Shelly or uh, or Tweets Cafe in general? Man, I, I think we covered it. You know, come yeah. on in for for a slice of pie where we ship on Gold Belly. Check out my art page again at Teriyaki Pop Tart. They <laughs> also follow North Bend Downtown Foundation. You'll know about events going on here in North Bend too. So if you are like planning a, a Twin Peaks trip, you might be able to do it around one of our events and get to know our community and how great the Valley is here. I love it here. The people are incredible. So I only want us to grow and the more Twin Peaks fans, the better, in my opinion. <laughs> oh, I, I'm with you on that. But uh, thank you again, Greg, for coming on and um, hope everything goes well for you. Together.